0: a college professor turned globe-trotting EQ entrepreneur. His mission? Each week, Dan joins prominent authors in decoding how emotions drive outcomes and make people tick. Now, on to the
1: show. Hello everyone and thank you for joining me for the 113th episode of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's topic is focused on women painting women. I'm joined by Andrea Carnes. She is the editor as well as a contributor to Women Painting Women. The publisher is Delmonico Books. Andrea is the chief curator of the Modern Art Museum of Fort Worth. She's been at the museum since 1989, rising through the ranks from receptionist to chief curator. She has been the curator for more than 40 shows at this point. Welcome to the show, Andrea.
2: Thank you, Dan.
1: So um, orient us a bit. Uh, how did the book come about? Um, what's the inspiration, etc.?
2: So the book is um, a book that is meant to accompany the exhibition, also titled Women Painting Women. I always think of an exhibition catalog and an exhibition as sort of two separate entities because the book inevitably, you know, very invari- not inevitably, but invariably becomes different than the exhibition, things change in terms of loans or works of art or whatever. So the book is meant really as its as its own thing, but I did it, you know, the spark was really that I was creating an exhibition and I wanted to have a catalog that would document what's in the exhibition and that would have a life that would last much longer than the actual exhibition.
1: Sure. And there's also some other uh, contributing essays in the book.
2: Absolutely. So the, the the kind of premise for the book and for the exhibition is that in or the, I guess the spark for me was that I read a blurb somewhere that there's a very famous essay written by the art historian and art critic Linda Nochlin, who passed away a few years ago, called Why Have There Been No Great Women Artist? And I read somewhere that it was turning that article was turning 50 in 2020. 21. So it just kind of made me want to take the temperature of where women artists are today versus 50 years ago, and how things have changed or how things have stayed the same. So the book is really meant to be inclusive of, you know, di- a diverse group of women who are, you know, the makers are women, and the subjects are women. And I chose painting because painting has traditionally been a privileged medium, at least in the Western canon of art history, mostly for white male artists. So looking at people who broke through those boundaries just seemed really interesting to me. And again, just taking the temperature of where women artists are today versus 50 years ago seemed like a good, it just seemed like a good moment to check in on that.
1: No no I would agree and the yeah the artwork obviously runs that span of time would you say there's any you know Patterns of change over those fifty years. Uh, things that really strike you versus earlier artists.
2: I think the the biggest change that I've noticed, um, and I should say, the book is not. It's not really a historic exhibition or ca- catalog. It's it's based on themes of the last fifty years, and the themes are very fluid. You could argue any one of these artists into any one of the themes, but um, but what I discovered mostly is that notion of inclusivity um i feel like the doors have been blown wide open um to include artists who are femme identifying for example um you know no matter what gender they were born into or no matter what biology this this book is inclusive of of femme identifying people it's also inclusive of a diverse group of women of all colors um from an international perspective. So it's not just about like, it's not just a feminist, it's not another feminist story of American feminism um, because feminism happened in all different ways and to all different degrees and at all different times globally. And since this exhibition is international, it's just really looking at what women have been doing with images of women for all these years.
1: Okay. So this is from the uh kind of the preface to the book. Uh it brings up something that's quite important, which is the power of gaze, the issue of who's looking, <laughs> uh, who's being seen. Uh do they strike poses and situations that seem active and uh more, you know, aggressive, domineering perhaps even, uh things that seem more passive and uh subject to to someone else's gaze. Um so talk to me about that um, as one of the ways in which you could view this artwork. And I, I can even be more specific there, and we'll get to particular works of art maybe here in a moment, but uh, instances where people's uh, maybe are looking down or away versus really meeting the, the viewer's gaze you know, head on. Well,
2: so this very notion of the gaze is something that has been – discussed and contested, especially since Laura Mulvey, the film critic, wrote Visual and Other Pleasures in the Narrative Cinema, and also about 50 years ago in the mid-1970s. Just talking about how, how women's bodies were generally made to be gazed upon by men. And there's also an implicit whiteness to all of this, a white viewer, a white subject, and, you know, a white maker. So the idea for this exhibition was to, to also just to, just to kind of test that notion by, by trying to take away the implicit whiteness, taking away the, the gender binary definition, you know, kind of breaking loose from that. And, um, and also giving women the power to decide who's you know, how, how that gaze will come across in a work. So there are some paintings in the exhibition that that very directly gaze back at us as viewers. Um, Samaya Critchlow, a young 27 year old artist, is comes to mind for me. Um, her work, there's one work where she has on a pink wig. Uh, the, the 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 sitter has on a pink wig. And you really can't see her eyes, yet there's something about the posture the the eyes are just right under the top of the pink wig in the painting, but you can tell that she's in control and that she is returning our gaze very directly, even though you can't really see her eyes. So there are works like that, that I think are extremely powerful in taking back the power of the gaze. And there are other works like Micheline Thomas's work called a little taste outside of love that features a female, bather you know out of that tradition of bathers but instead of the woman being white she's a black woman who is front and center and the subject of the work gazing directly back out at us and she's clearly in again in control and the subject of the work so we meet her gaze in this sort of almost confrontational ways as opposed to a a subject in a painting that would be passive, not meeting our gaze directly. And there are plenty of those in the exhibition as well
1: yeah know, I remember that one very distinctly. I mean, there's certainly a sense of self-possession, and uh, you know, I will not be dominated, bullied. Um, yeah, yeah, very and it's pointing to there.
2: omissions in art history, the omission of the black body, for example, the black female body, or the black female nude as an as an erotic presence in a work. so it is it is confrontational in that way.
1: Yeah. So another one that uh, my wife happens to be an, an artist herself, and um, she was looking through the book naturally. And uh, one that struck her in part because I think she couldn't imagine uh, doing this with her own mother was Self-Portrait Naked with My Mother, number two, by uh, Chantal Joffe. Any, any comments you, you might make on that one? So
2: this work is... It's it's stylized and it's simplified in terms of actual paint on canvas. Like if you if you look at the work, it's made with outlines of the body, which is kind of a no-no in painting. I mean, people break the rules all the time. Uh, of course, you know, once you know your chops, you can break all the rules. But the artist Chantal Jaffe is the nude one in the image. She's completely naked and she's sitting right next to her mother who is completely clothed. And even though it's simplified and stylized in terms of the the painting itself. It's so loaded. It's loaded about family dynamics. It's loaded specifically about the mother daughter relationship. There's a complete vulnerability here to the artist who is naked, and then adjacent to her, her clothed mother. There's a vulnerability about her mother, too, and it has to do with the, just the fragility of her age. She's this aging mother and this middle aged artist sitting together. So, in that same like kind of this, this particular work is in a theme I called the body. Um, And in that same theme, you have other artists like Jenny Saville, who are literally making painting about, she's literally making painting about flesh. It is a portrait of flesh, but it's juxtaposed with something like the Chantal Jaffe that's stylized and doesn't really give us anything about texture or maybe even real skin tone necessarily, but it's so loaded with content. The psychological read is just as strong in any of these works in this category.
1: Oh, yeah. No, that's an incredibly powerful painting. I'm going to come back to that one in a second. Just to, to finish out on the Joffe. Um, you might find this interesting or not, but uh, my brother-in-law was formerly a traffic cop in Seattle area. And I asked him once, or actually he asked me, he said, guess which day of the year uh, we had the most uh, calls to come to a, a residence, a domicile uh, and I said, I don't know. <laughs> I got 365 choices. I'm not going to win this one. And he said, it's actually Mother's Day. He said, we we found that. Uh, and he said, I, I don't have the answer. I, I'm a cop, not a psychologist, he said. But if you forced me to guess, he said, I'd probably imagine that it has to do with what you just mentioned a moment ago, those loaded mother-daughter dynamics and perhaps the expectations that could exist on both sides that aren't always met square on shall we say
2: yes and just sort of the anticipation about i don't know yes the the expectations or the expectation about the day but yeah the, the to me this image is so loaded um and it's so psychologically intense and it's done with the simplicity of form which is so interesting
1: yeah, and they both have one foot forward and another foot that's either absent or seemingly chopped off and missing. Um, so they're they're halfway to something, but they they're not taking full steps forward Absolutely. on and onto that topic.
2: Also their their glances, um, the way their eyes look, they're they they're not looking out directly at us, but both of them are sort of looking side-eyed, you know, toward and away from each other, which is very interesting too. It's just it it yeah there's a blankness about that,
1: yeah. they are they are looking, they are taking in their their reconnaissance yes. of each other, but they are not acknowledging each other's presence, even though they're cheek to jaw and they're really not and, giving
2: anything yeah. away, you know
1: no, no, they are not. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and since I happen to be a facial coder, I can say that in the artist's expression, you know the the, eyelid, the lower eyelid is very taut, which is a sign of anger. Often the mouth is pursed together, uh, the, the chin is raised. All of those can be signs of anger. There's some other emotions possible there. The the mother, on the other hand, the outer eyebrows are raised, which can be a sign of fear. Uh, the corner of the mouth is drooping, uh, which can be disgust and sadness. Um, so there, there's a lot of emotions going on here. Definitely. But, um, and
2: how brave of the artist to look unflinchingly at herself and her own mother. You know, this it's pretty yes. intense when you think about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's it's a striking piece. But well, let, let's go to the Seville piece, because that is also really striking. As you said, it is, you know, a uh, monument to, you know, the importance of the body. Uh, you know, there is a lot of flesh evident in a way that we would not normally see in all the stylized models and so on in society. Um, and the scale uh the, the vantage point that we have of her looming over us as the viewer. Um, I mean, you know, it's kind of like a I don't know, Mount Rushmore came to mind, I guess I'll say. Uh, for one thing
2: i you know the work is in uh, it's in a gallery with only two other works one is the Chantel Joffe that we just talked about and the other is alice neal of a pregnant nude laying on a bed looking extremely uncomfortable and to me the, th- and the alice neal is also very very stylized and very simplistically done to me the three have a very similar psychological resonance even though they're about three different things but this one in particular of Jenny Saville I will say like she's clearly coming out of this tradition in art history from you know Titian to Rubens to Lucian Freud in England who would have been you know a couple of generations before her, but known for painting flesh. Um, and I think that Saville really, I mean, she has all the chops of all of the three male artists I just named. Um, and she loves to paint flesh and you can't deny it. <laughs> you know,
1: <laughs> you can't it. And she deny does it really well. She I mean, does this... it
2: really well.
1: This blows away Chuck Close, for instance. Yes,
2: absolutely. And when you're in the room with this work, and you can, you know, if you have the catalog, you can tell as well. um, It's the it's one woman seen in three views and she's got a downward cast gaze in each of the three and it's called North face, front face, South face. And that is an indication of the the direction the woman is facing. Uh, The woman happens to be a friend of Jenny Savile, but anyway, she is looking down, but if you're in the room with the work, it's almost like her eyes are tracking you no matter where you go. And, um, But it's also because her eyes are downcast, there's a complete vulnerability about the work, even though if you just look at the imposing body in the image, and if you're in the room with these, this work swallows everyone whole. It's it's a massive work. Um, But there's a vulnerability there, too, which is so interesting.
1: I want to go to, there's just one instance in the book, um, which is the Turkish bath and um, you know, there we have, uh, as best I can tell, it's women painting women, but not entirely. Um, so, can you talk to that one and why it's in the collection?
2: Yes, the work by Sylvia Slay you're talking about, called the Turkish. Yes, yes and, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Turkish Bath, 1973. Um, so, this work by Sylvia Slay depicts. Six men, I had to had to think about how many men are yeah, six men in the work. Um and It does stick out, obviously, in an exhibition called Women Painting Women. It was painted by a woman. But the thing that Sylvia Slay has done here is replace the normally objectified female sitters with male sitters. So just like the work we talked about of Mickalene Thomas that puts the black female body front and center, this work is about... uh, placing the male body in the normally female position. So it's very tongue-in-cheek. The the man who is recumbent in the image, the other men are kind of playing guitars and you see their very angular, hairy bodies. But there's one man... Who is recumbent in the front of the image? And he's a little more feminized, I would say, in terms of the curvature of his body. Um, and that happens to be the artist's husband, the art critic, Lawrence Alloway. And so he's in the position of what would normally be understood as the concubine or the prostitute in the image. Yes, yes. Um, so it's just Sylvia Slay's way of saying, you know, wait a minute, we have all these nude female bodies. Throughout time, art historically, where are, the, where are the male nudes? So she replaces the female body with the male bodies.
0: This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch.
2: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: Yeah, and and the male figures usually clothed are action figures. They're in uniforms, things that give us status. And in this case, they're 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 flesh basically, and and a good deal of hair. They're flesh and um, hair, chest hair, and angularity.
2: Yeah. And I and I will say. A lot of women in the 70s, including Sylvia Slay, tried to point to the idea of eroticism made for heteronormative, you know, cisgender females, and it did not fly. A lot of times, if if you had male anatomy in a painting like this one, the exhibition would get shut down, and it happened over and over again. But you could have female nudes all day long, yes, <laughs> no problem. So no, yeah,
1: I, I had a friend who was a theater director, and he he chose a play that had frontal male nudity, yes. and uh, it didn't run very long in St. Paul.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. the same case with most of these women who who tried it. You know.
1: Yeah. So then that speaks to another thing here. Uh, Again, my my wife, in looking through the book, just at one point felt both elated and and sad. The elated part was that you did have so much more inclusivity and the usual boundaries or expectations of what kind of women would be presented and how they were presented and how, you know, strikingly attractive they had to be to qualify for the gays is is thrown away and, and ruptured. And then the sadness is how much, on a day-to-day basis, you know, in uh, advertising, et cetera, it's still not the case. Um, so I I wonder if viewers of the exhibit, people who have reacted to the book, you have, have have noted that that contrast between where the, I guess I'll say where the society is often at, <laughs> um, and and where the exhibit and the book is at.
2: Well, you know, the timing of the exhibition is interesting now that women's bodies are at front and center, um, again, you know, and so, um, there's that. And then there's also though, to, for me, what's empowering about this is all the women here are taking the power back. And I guess what I mean by that is, you know, there are women in the exhibition such as Lisa Uscavich who basically use the language of soft porn, Um, Her work is almost a monochromatic peach toned background with a, a a nude woman who is clearly like a pinup girl um, in the foreground also with the, with the peach skin. And it's a beautiful painting. It's incredible. It's again, like her art historical, her painting chops are, you know, you can't even come close to her, but, what she's doing in the image is using a language that was invented by men for men, but taking it into her own hands. So, yeah, there's an objectified woman in the image, but she's using that language to turn itself on its head. And I think there are other images, plenty of other paintings in the show like that. Christian Lyons, for example, is a young painter in the exhibition. Her work is called Yayoi, and it basically fuses together three different women from fashion magazines, influencers from the internet and women from film. You know, she doesn't say who they are, but if you look carefully, you can kind of figure out the famous ones, but she fuses these women together to make one woman. So she's taking all of these three different sectors of society in which women are objectified and powerless, but when she puts them all together in one image that can't really be resolved as one person, um, somehow it becomes so powerful. They, They take back the power. And in that image, the work is called Yayoi, and it's got polka dots in it. And it's after the artist Yayoi Kusama, who is Japanese, who actually did break through the Western canon of art history as a Japanese woman in the 1960s. So, again, there's like this very powerful reference to, you know, in the title to another woman artist.
1: And And speaking of that, I mean, there there are women in this book who are on horseback, which is usually what we expect, you know from the male cowboy. We have women as acrobats, uh, as wrestlers, even. Um, there does seem to be a lot of energy and agency uh, in in what's evident in the book.
2: I think so. The one, the wrestlers that, um, that artist is Jenna Gribbons and her work is about, it's, you know, it's, it's really often about her own experience as a lesbian. So in that particular image, these two women are wrestling and the, the, the title of that work is Weenie Roast. And you see all these hot dogs kind of scattered about. They've, they've missed the mark of the campfire and they're just like rolling around in the dirt. <laughs> so I think there's a metaphor there for, you know, what's needed and what's not needed uh, for, for the women wrestlers in the image. But um, yeah, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of empowerment. Um, the, the horse and rider one to me, the do- the donkey ride is very, it's, you know, it's almost cartoonish, but it's sort of haunting at the same time. Um, I think women, feel the freedom now to put themselves in any kind of situation, um, whether it's traditionally meant for a man or for a white person or for, you know, like all of those things have kind of gone out the window to a certain degree. Um, and that uh, another reason I wanted to include other voices in the book. I mean, I wrote the main essay because obviously I did the research for the, for the exhibition and, you know, it's, it was an idea that I had, but I wanted to include other voices in the book that would speak to specifically women of color as artists. Um, because why women were doing what they were doing, you know, it's, it's for all different reasons, of course. Some women are working with an archetype. Some women are working against an archetype. Some women are working very clearly within, you know, beginning with the, probably the women's movement in the 1960s, whereas others are working clear, very clearly from within the civil rights movement of the 1960s, you know, and then going forward. So women had all different kinds of reasons for making images in their own likeness or of other women. Um, so I wanted to, try to be very inclusive of that as well, and to also give those viewpoints in writing in the book, not just my viewpoint as a white woman,
1: you know. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate that. Um, one last question, and maybe I'll throw it open to you to, you know, get to whatever you didn't get a chance to talk about in the interview. Um, but it's, um, you know, something that's been painted a lot as a subject matter, but not as a woman on the cross. So this is crucifixion number one. Uh, From 1969. Any, um, you know, we are of course accustomed to seeing a male body there, and um, so it's a striking piece.
2: Well, there actually is a male body part there as well. Um, If you look to the left, (laughs) there's a there's a penis in the image, and it's sort of the woman is you know it's called crucifixion number one. Um, It's the artist's body. It is that artist Eunice Golden is mostly known for her what's called male landscapes. And I would categorize her as one of the artists who tried to create erotic images for women, but it actually wouldn't fly. You know, it kind of hurt her market. Um, But that particular painting was considered sort of like, you know, um, the antidote to all of her male nudes. So it's a woman's body, but it is being pierced on the side um, by, by a penis. And so, it's relating the body to the landscape basically. And you can see that there are these peaks and valleys and the colors of that particular painting are very earthy, very orangey and rust. And um, it's that, that artist is 95 and she is still painting and still doing well and still mostly painting men. But I wanted to include her in the exhibition because she's such a rebel you know, yeah,
1: no, it's a very it's a very daring piece. Very,
2: <laughs> very, yes.
1: <laughs> so, um, as I promised, uh, is there one last painting or comment that you wanted to get around to, not to uh, preclude something that you were burning to share with us?
2: I just, you know, I guess in general, I would say, you know, in addition to sort of the spark being me wanting to look at the last 50 years of of that notion of, are there great women artists and why, or why not? In addition to that, I also wanted to do this exhibition and this catalog for the young women who are aspiring artists today, who need to look in a book and find their mentors or look on the gallery walls of the museum and find their mentors and just sort of be able to say to themselves, she did it. I can do it too. Um, And I, I, when you do a large-scale group exhibition like this, there are always things for people to love and people to hate and everything in between. And I'm, I am—I love that. I love the nature of a group show. I mean, it it doesn't have to be something that, you know, you just love everything you see by any means. But what I really want is that there would be something for everyone in the book or in the show. Maybe not everything yeah, so, for everyone, but something for everyone. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, so, something that offers a spark for every. Yeah. Possible viewer. Yep. So, well, I want to thank you so much. This has been episode 113 of Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. Uh, The subject this week, women painting women over the past half century. My guest, Andrea Carnes, she is the editor as well as a contributor to Women Painting Women. If you've enjoyed today's show, please give it a rating or review on iTunes. You can find other episodes by going to the search bar and typing in Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight in the new book's network platform. Uh, Finally, I'd like to conclude every episode with an appropriate epigram, uh, looking through one's uh, statements made on creativity from female artists. I took this one from Laura Jaworski, who said, "'Inhale possibility. Exhale creativity.'" Until next time, take care and be well.